I first want to uh, thank you, worship team. Uh, you all will always thank you so much. Uh, for all who are visitors, uh, welcome again. We're glad you're here. We want you to come back. We want you to get to know people, and so hopefully you'll have some time to do that before and after worship. I'm not a visitor here. Uh, my family is here uh, all the time, and so I am worshiping them. I work in Logan Square most of the time, and so I want to first thank whoever uh, we had to bribe to get me back over here to Bronzeville. Uh, I don't know who was paid off, but apparently I did something to somebody to not get invited back. And so, um, you know, and, and of course, it, the pastor's out of town, so he doesn't get to hear uh, my little joke there. But uh, he was paid very handsomely to get me to come back. And so uh, uh, while they're out of town seeing family, uh, I'm glad to be here. And I, I, before I start into the message... I want to, in some ways, just uh, thank you all who are serving and growing and uh, being a part of this church. Uh, the one benefit I get, uh, if there is one, a, a very distant part of this congregation and coming back here and there um, to, to say my Easter speech, you know, I get to come back and see faces that are old faces that have been around, and faces that um, uh, are coming around. And, you know, I, I want to thank you, and you hear this in different ways uh, by different people, but I want to thank you for serving in the church and for, and for participating in what I think is uh, God's project. I think, I think that pastors have a responsibility in the work of God, in the project of God, in our job, uh, God's people, uh, service, uh, and have a job in that equipment too. Your job is to be in the work of God, and God has the biggest job. God is the one who uh, matures us, who grows us up um, so that we can be perfected, says if chapter 4. And so ministers and leaders, particularly the ones of us paid to lead and serve, have a part God has a part, and the congregation has a part. And so for those of you who are, are faithfully participating in God's project, your, your soul renovation, your soul deconstruction and reconstruction, you're participating in the maturing, perfecting body of Christ, I want to tell you for doing the job that you have, and that is showing up to the construction site. That is being wrecked by God and being put together by God. That is being the service. Um, and, uh, and I don't want to take for granted that I get to see some of the faces that I do when I come over here. So, so thank you. Um, this morning, I am uh, going to ask you to think about something that may be comfortable for, uh, other, uh, for some of you and for others of you, it may be the natural thing to do while you're listening to a, a sermon, uh, and which would be a compliment in some ways. I'm going to ask you to consider uh, your sin. 
While I'm preaching and um, talking and while we're listening to the scriptures, I'm going to ask you to think about your sin this morning. And I don't want to give you a whole lot of definition of what I mean by that. You know, usually we talk about sin as having to do with attitudes and acts and uh, things that we do, things that we don't do. And, and I don't want to give you a lot of uh, a lot of detail because the fact of the matter is we don't need a lot of detail when we when we hear the word sin there is there is something that is that is so familiar to us when we uh, hear the language of sin the bible doesn't give a lot of definition for sin the bible gives descriptions and there are metaphors and there are images but there isn't a hard and fast Definition in the scripture uh, like you would find in Webster's Dictionary. There isn't a lot of detail with footnotes like you would find on Wikipedia. But when the Bible talks about sin, there is a commonness to its language. There is something we know as readers and listeners to the scriptures. And I want you to go there in your heart this morning and, and have your sin close to you uh, for the next few minutes. <clears throat> I want you to, to have um, not too far away, maybe in the seat closest to you, your, uh, your sin, the, the, the image of your sin. Because this morning we're going to go uh, to Scripture, and in some ways I'm talking about I'm not talking about sin at all. I'm talking this morning about repentance and about Confession and, and the, the scriptures that I want us to pay attention to this morning have a lot to say about sin and about confession and repentance of sin. The scriptures this morning have a lot to say about God and how God sits, how God postures, how God stands, how God leans in relation to our sin. And I think that the scriptures will provide for us a kind of contrast between the image of our sin and the image of God and God's words about sin. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. The second passage that we'll get to in a little bit is the 63rd number of Psalm. It's a, it's a song. It's a psalm. It's a hymn uh, from that chorus of Israel. And, and we will get to that. And one thing about repentance that we'll talk about in Psalm 63 is the language of repentance. Say the word language. We'll get to that in a, in a minute. But we'll start with Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, we'll look here, we will, I think, see uh, the results of repentance. Say the word results. Isaiah uh, 55 provide a kind of contrast, uh, a strong opening contrast for us as we think about our sin uh, that is close to us this morning. I want you to turn your hearts uh, to the scriptures. And, and frankly, even that turning to scripture, 
Turning is one of the words, uh, one of the definitions for repentance. Repentance, which is the main sort of uh, thrust and the main sort of package of the message today. And you've heard this before if you've been in church three or four times. Repentance is a kind of turning to God. It is a, it is a turning to God and a digging in to God. It is, it is turning to God and a digging in to God. And as we turn to Isaiah 55, Uh, verses 1 through 9, I think uh, we will hear God who is worth turning to this morning. Listen as I read, and you can follow along. Uh, You don't have to read yet. If you want to warm up, you can. I'll ask you to read by the time we get to Psalm 63. Uh, You look like you want to be quiet for a little while, though. Uh, I will will read and... uh, pull you along uh, as, we, as we encounter the message today. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9. This is probably the English Standard Version. That's the one I, I use, usually uh, use. And so um, your version, if you have your Bible, may be different. Scripture says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found, Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways uh, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is God for God's people. And thanks be unto God. This text, go back to the first part, Renee, if you will. This text talks in the opening about uh, water. Come to the waters. 
There is language about water. There is language about wine. There is language about milk. And just to sort of anchor you in this imagery, uh, the, the writer, uh, this prophetic voice, Isaiah, is, is, is giving us God's word of waters and milk and wine. And water, uh, as he opens this chapter, is an image of a life-sustaining liquid. You need water to live. And he's saying, uh, as he opens this chapter, uh, there are waters here. If you need uh, life-giving substance, if you need something to help you get along the basic way, just to live one morning, one evening at a time, you can come. And then there's this language about wine and milk. And so water is this sort of basic idea. You just need water. But this language of wine and milk, as he invites us to hear the word of God, is not about life sustenance. The language of wine and milk is language of, of nourishment and strength. You can be alive and not be healthy. You can be alive and not have nourishment. You can be alive and not have joy. And, 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 and milk and wine are words that for Israel indicate joy and nourishment and strength. And Isaiah opens this chapter pulling us in by saying, what I have to say, what I have to report, what I have to proclaim is an invitation to everybody on the one hand who needs a word from God just to get by all the way to people who need a word from God who have what they need to get by, but who have no joy. I have something to say to the person who is at the bottom of life and don't know where their next meal is coming from. And I have something to say to the person who has more food than you can ever imagine, and it is unsatisfying. The word that Isaiah had is word not just for one sort of person, not just for a select few, but Isaiah opens with powerful imagery that says, if you think this does not apply to you, let me talk to you about water and wine. You that need the basics, and you that need the joy that is so often taken for granted. And he says, I think, uh, in these verses, uh, at least for this morning, two things that I want us to spend a few minutes with. Uh, the, the, the first thing in this passage, the first uh, result of repentance this morning for us, wrap our hearts around, is Isaiah's invitation, we come to God. Say come. Isaiah is extending to us uh, an invitation to come to God. We see, uh, we hear that God is approachable, that God is close, and that we can come to God. Now, Isaiah starts by uh, going into these images, and he makes available to us this generous God who has an invitation that is open to us all. God is interested in inviting all of us, uh, no matter what sin is close to you this morning, no matter what wrong, no matter what evil is 
uh, in your heart and in your mind. And there is something very striking about the truth that Isaiah's extension, that God's extension through Isaiah is open to everybody we see what Isaiah gets to in verses 8 and 9, and that is that God uh, invites people to come who we wouldn't invite to come. Our thoughts, right, are, are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not God's ways. And even in the church, if we're honest, there are people we would prefer not participate in this invitation. They're the people you don't like. They're the people you talk about when you get at home after work. They're the people who I tell my wife, get on my nerve, who irritate me under my skin where I can't quite scratch and get rid of. The people that we don't like, we really wouldn't invite. And yet, God is unlike us. He says to the husband who is disengaged from his marriage, he says uh, to the molester, the murderer and the thief and the embezzler come. He says to the hard-hearted, unrepentant, closed, narrow, come. He says to the parent who is spent and doesn't know where the remuneration will come from, come. He says to the student who cheats. And right away, there's a tension. And if you're like me, you sort of want to stop reading. You start thinking about the invitation being so open to come to God, who is so generous to let just anybody come. This, this week, my uh, brother meeting with his wedding party, he and his fiance. They're getting married July 22nd. Wanted to have a, a sort of a meeting, a get together, a meet and greet, so that all the wedding party can know each other's faces. You know, so they brought us over, gave us chicken, uh, start, uh, start, you know, answering questions that we had. I had some questions, you know, because the wedding is on a, it's it's on a Sunday, and I told them, I said, you know, I have, I got, like, I need to be at, so I have to get, I have to get, uh, and I meant. Christian public is the congregation. It's, I said, I had to get, you know, these things covered. Sunday wedding, and then we start talking about re- receptions. And I said, well, how long is this going to last? You know, because I do weddings. I don't stay for receptions. But you're going to have to stay. And we're, going through, we're going through all these details, and uh, we're talking. And, uh, and as the, uh, I do stay for some, but not most. I stay for yours. I stay for yours. After y'all made me drive three hours, I had to stay. I had to have breakfast. I had to have lunch. I think it was the Dotsons who came late, didn't stay, I think. I think. But I stayed. I stayed. I stayed. They were late. I, yeah. Anyhow, I told them at this meeting, you know, I said, well, these things out. Especially if I had to be the best man, I suppose I shouldn't leave her up. And... Uh, and they handed us these envelopes uh, with, uh, open up the envelope, it's these save the date cards. And they have their pictures, the pretty pictures on it, you know, and they're looking at each other, and they're looking at the hand, you know, ring, this. I'm a little away from that, you know, it's, but it's cute, it's cute. And, and uh, it's nice, it's about, it's about time. 
for my brother, you know. And so I'm taking it all in. I'm thanking God. I'm praying and thanking God, you know. And, and I look at the Save the Day card, and the Save the Day card is not an invitation. Um, and, and it really doesn't even give you all the information. It just gives you faces of people that you know and a date. It doesn't give you the venue. It doesn't give you the time. It doesn't give you sort of the details and the expectations of what you're supposed to bring, whether you're supposed to tell them you're coming or not. It just says, hold the date. And I thought about that little card this week as I readied these, 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 uh, these words for you this morning that the save the date card is very different than an invitation. And Isaiah does not give us a save the date card in this chapter. He gives us an invitation to come to God with all of the information we need to come to this God. We, we have this invitation to come to who is open to a God who has wiping away all of the, the stray details Get to the essential thing that every sinner, that every person needs, and that is God himself. Isaiah says, come everyone. Now, a good preacher uh, could stop and just deal with that, and not preacher this morning, so I'm going to stop and just kind of look at come everyone, but but come everyone is a sermon. We'll tell Reverend Dotson to preach that because, I, no, honestly, come everyone is about 35 minutes uh, of good preaching by itself. But Isaiah, he goes into why everyone has something to hear in this text. He says that there are waters that we can access. He says that there is food uh, that we can eat and be filled with at the hand of this God. Isaiah invites us to come to God who establishes and keeps a covenant with David. Uh, To come to God who is faithful to Israel and to us. To come to God who accepts Israel, who is rebellious and stubborn, and who accepts us who are rebellious and stubborn. To come to God who does not falter on his covenant. There is a searching truth in this passage that the Holy One of Israel is a promise keeper. And some of you need to hear this morning, and the only thing you need to hear is that when God makes a covenant, when God makes a promise, God does not have the ability to go back on His promise. God always, always, always keeps His covenant. And so you can be thrilled and excited and enlivened because if you've ever heard a promise of God, you know it's a promise that will be kept by God who keeps covenant, who keeps promise. If we're invited to come to this God and we are, then it must be true that God at work keeping all the promises that God has made 
when we come uh, to this God, if this invitation is in Isaiah 55, we are not met by a God whose face is sour because of our sins, but we are met by a God whose face is illuminated with joy and delight and pleasure because we come. Think again about your sin about the sin that's in the seat closest to you, the vacant seat. Think again about the sin that's in your heart that you have not spoken about, that you have not prayed about, that you have not turned over to God. And can you see God and God's face waiting for you at a table with water, with milk, with wine, with bread, with steak? Uh, This imagery is quite vegetarian in this passage. (laughs) But God who has whatever you would consume and call rich. Can you see his face with all the hope for you and your sin to come? Come to God is move in this part of Isaiah 55. But the second thing in this uh, passage is uh, an invitation for us to confront reality differently. There is a lot in this passage about God, but there is a lot in this passage about us as well. We are told uh, to do things in this passage. Now, the reality of sin, and for some of you, when I said think about your sin, you, you felt it. The reality of sin is, is dismal. It is pretty depressing to think about sin. The only way to think about sin uh, and not be to think redemptively. So you sort of wait for the cross. You wait for the relief of thinking about the is uh, that is the, the partner of sin. All sin brings death. All sin starts with death and ends. Death and the reality of sin is, is, is sad for that reason. Sin has no boundaries. It knows no lines. It starts somewhere and it extends until everything related is destroyed. It's in your mind but doesn't stay in your mind. It will destroy your brain, your mind, and the rest of you. That reality is really difficult and painful about, but, but, but Isaiah pushes this idea of sin, 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 and at the same time, God, God, God. And, and the answer to thinking about sin and God always means something for how you look at reality. If we encounter God, we can't encounter the same Isaiah has, uh, has, has, has instructions for people who live a different reality. He, he says that after living or after meeting with God, you, you either live for God or you boldly don't. The people who live for God, verses 6 and 7 of this chapter, uh, give us images of what living repentant lives are looks like. We are told to seek, call, forsake, and return. Look at the verses. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Three of these behaviors uh, relate to how we relate to God. Three of these behaviors have to do with how we relate to God. One of them relates to us and sin. We are told uh, uh, to seek God, to call upon God, and to return to God. We are told when it comes to sin, to forsake sin. I think that alone is a corrective for us who think a whole lot about sin. When Scripture says that our behavior should most be concerned with seeking God, with calling God, with returning to God. Forsaking sin, yes. Forsaking wickedness, yes. But seeking, calling, returning to God. And when when the verse says to call upon God, that language means to throw yourself in the direction of this God. When, When the Bible says to call upon Him, it means to cast yourself in the direction of this God. To throw yourself in God's way. Not only, says Isaiah, may we seek the Lord while he may be found, but we can call upon him while he is near. God is findable, but God is also near. God is near uh, like the air that we're breathing. God is near like these lights in the sanctuary this morning. God is near like the wooden flat that you're sitting on. God is near like the person close to you today. God is near. You don't have to simply walk and search around and, and, and look for a God that is only findable, Isaiah says that God is able to be reached. For the hungry, for the thirsty, for the lifeless sinner whose thoughts are in the opposite direction, God is near. Is that you this morning? The uh, person thoughts are in the opposite direction of the holy? Is that you this morning who looks at life and needs something else to satisfy you? Is that us this morning who, who has water, but it isn't sustaining our life? Is that us this morning who has been drinking things, but it leaves us without joy? Of course it's us. Of course it's you. Of course it's me. It's all of our relatives. It's, it's all we know we all come and we drink from fountains we eat from tables that have been prepared by everyone other than this God the question is not are we eating and drinking we're eating and drinking the question is whose food are we eating and drinking see I'll ask you when you invite me to come to dinner whether you can cook. I don't mind. I don't, if, cause if you can't, I'm gonna tell you I'll bring the food. I'm, you know, Boston Market is open before dinner time. Or, you know, we'll stop by Louisiana Chicken or we'll stop by Connie. I don't know. We'll stop by and get some Asperger's from White Castles. But, but if you can't cook, if you can't cook, it'd be better eating White Castles than sitting around the table, you know. Uh, all right. That was, maybe that was gross. That, that wasn't on my note sheet. Uh, but, but, but the question is, whose food are we eating, right? 
from what pitcher are we drinking? And, 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 and Isaiah says that we can come to God, that we can, can get the generosity from this creative chef whose food will fill and satisfy, whose water will be so replenishing that you will be embarrassed getting up from the table. We live differently when we eat the food from the hand of God. Because God gives to everybody. God offers to all of us. We, we never have to get tripped up coming to the table and saying, we're going to pure before we show. How do you not live clean and pure after you get up from that table when you didn't have to come clean and pure? So how do we come? How do we draw near to this generous God who not only provides water, but who creates the most beautiful water pictures? How do we come to this God whose food is sumptuous and rich and wonderful? I think we come to this God by in some ways doing what God has already done. God has already shown. God is present, God is near, God can be found, and coming to the God is an exercise in doing the exact same thing. It is, it is your own word saying, God, I am here. And, and, and how do we do that? I think the psalm is pretty helpful uh, for us. And, and so what I want us to do is look at Psalm 63, uh, the first eight verses of it. And uh, most of you have been pretty quiet. All of you have, actually. Uh, I'm going to ask you to open your mouth and read this psalm now. And I want you to read it like it uh, has the lyrics of your favorite song. I want you to read it like you must be convincing in your reading. So don't dribble through it, but read it well. Uh, If you read fast, I want you to slow down. And if you read slow, you should speed up, okay? Uh, uh, I'm tempted to tell you to stand. So if you don't read well, have you stand and do it, okay? We'll do it like a very punitive teacher. But right now, sit down. Let's see how well you do. Uh, Read Psalm 63. Ready? Come on. Let's read. Oh, God. This is the word of God for us. 
I want to offer this hymn to us today to uh, sing, to pray, to say. I, I don't want you to look at this psalm and to hear it as one of those other passages, passages that you hear and that you don't hear. I think, I think this psalm gives us language uh, for repentance, language uh, of repentance. And, and I say to you, especially those of you who are praying over particular things for this Lenten season, fasting over things, that if you need ways to pray, ways to confess sin, ways to uh, turn and dig into God, that this psalm is a map, is a tool uh, for you. And so these words, the psalms, all of are, are prayers of God's people, right? The, the Psalms, all of them, are for us to, to hear how prayers sound. The Psalms show us uh, what worship is supposed to look like, how worship and life lived before God should feel. And so this is another one of the Psalms. Now it's not one of the obvious Psalms for repentance. There are other Psalms that are obvious when it comes to confession and repentance. But I think these are perfect prayerful phrases for us uh, in the church today and for this season of Lent especially. If, if, if repentance is to look at God, to turn to God, to, to root into God, to, to uproot uh, from sin and to, and to dig into God, then this psalm is great for us who seek to turn from wickedness. Look at this psalm again, and I'm going to give you a moment. I I want you uh, to find a phrase, to find a word that pops out, that stands out, that sticks out for you uh, this morning. Now, I'm going to ask you to hold this psalm throughout the week, but so today's word or phrase may be different. But look up there and see if there is something searching for you in this Do any of you see anything? One at a time. What do you what do you what do you see here? What pops out? What word? What phrase? You have been my help. Your steadfast love is better than life. My soul will be satisfied. My king. Uh-huh. When I remember you. Anyone else? Mm, my soul clings to you. Do you know what we're doing? We're repenting. Just that moment where you said, my soul clings to you, is a turning to God. This 
is how we repent. This right here. You coming and looking and listening for the Word of God in the Word of God. This is how we dig in to God. But aren't I supposed to refrain from? Now, how, how do you become more wicked while rehearsing your steadfast love is better? How does your soul cling to God? And yet cling to evil. This is the language of repentance. This is how we go about turning away from something and to someone. We call out the word of We turn to the Word of God. We listen to each other's language for the language of the Word of God. So, I'm wrapping up and I want to leave you with a a few questions about this prayer, this psalm. They're, uh, they're, They're leading questions tell you that now. They are questions answer is yes or I hope so. That's the right answer, okay? It's yes or I hope so. So uh, the, the first question is, uh, uh, does the language of this psalm encourage you to repent? Does the language of this psalm encourage you, ready you, better able you to come and turn and dig in and root in to God? Does this psalm help you say your sins, sit with your sins in the presence of this God whose steadfast love is better than life? The second question is, does this psalm give you a phrase or a word to use as a prayer? For some of you, it did that a moment ago. You listened and you saw a word or a phrase. You spoke it in the presence of God, in the congregation of God's people. You prayed it. Number three, does this song enlarge your view of God and you and love? I hope so. Do the words here help you see repentance more clearly? Can you see repentance as looking upon God in the sanctuary or beholding the power and glory of God? Can you see repentance as your having joyful lips? As God being your help? God's right hand upholding. 
Lastly, I want to go back to Isaiah 55 um, before I sit down. And, and I want just to point to a few things in this passage that God does. I, I, I showed you the four things that Isaiah calls us to do, to seek God, to call upon God, to return to God, to forsake sin. We are called to do those things uh, in this passage. But Isaiah 55 shows us God doing, uh, and I've counted five things and put them here. God does uh, several things for us as we repent. We confess as we turn to God, call God, seek God, forsake sin. God provides food. God provides water. God provides milk. God provides rich food is the language of this passage. The second thing is that God gives life. God does not leave us without a connection that is lively, that is enlivened, that is renewed. God gives life. Sin takes life. Sin destroys. God gives life, enables, empowers. God establishes covenant. makes promises that cannot be broken. God cuts covenant and God keeps the covenant with David, with Israel, with the church, with you, with God's promises is what it established covenant. Fourth thing God does, hear that, you read that in the fifth verse of Isaiah 55, is glorified. That, that, that peculiar language of God saying to Israel, I will keep my promises, I will keep my covenant that I established with, with, with David, and I am going to introduce you to nations that you don't know, and I am going to have nations run to you. God is, and then that language sort of hangs and says, because I've glorified you. I will do the unexpected. I will bring you into unexpected miracles. Glorify. God pardons unrighteousness. God forgives sin. God pardons unrighteousness. I saw an image of this uh, this week and and a few weeks ago uh, in the news when the former governor of Mississippi... uh, exercised his office, Governor Haley Barber, some of you may have seen this, and he pardoned hundreds of, uh, hundreds of criminals. And, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, without abandon, really. Uh, and to be charitable in a way that exercised his power. And even this week, the Mississippi Supreme Court upheld his executive power to, without correction, as governor, release prisoners and wipe away their record as prisoners. So that now, they are without record. They are... It is as if, the, the, the newscaster said, it is as if they never committed the crime, as if there was never any evidence, as if the crime for which they were imprisoned never happened. Now, 
that's amazing, right? Just in Mississippi, that's just, that's amazing that there are people who are dead now and they were never dead. They were never killed, like legally. I mean, that's, that's but that's a whole nother, that's, maybe that's not a sermon. But maybe it is because in a way it's a contemporary image. It's almost gross. It's almost God can do that. God can take your life and the lives of the people that you don't like and and so pardon you that the life you had never happened. That the evidence of it just isn't there. In the most righteous way, yes, God can. Are there consequences to the bad decisions you made? Yep. Like you? Yep. They're not going to treat you like God did. So you have some reparation. But God pardons the unrighteous. So I asked you this morning to think about your sin and, and uh, to have it as close to you as you could. And I had mine with me throughout the preparation of this message and throughout the preparation of this message. And I kept saying, I don't know. God kept saying, but I know. I don't know, Lord. I know. Can you pardon? I know. Can you hear God this morning saying that your sins do not exclude you from coming to God? Praying prayers of repentance like my soul will be satisfied. Bow your heads, church. It is fascinating. And it is incredible. It just, it, it's just incredible that you love us the way Isaiah 55 says you do. The way Psalm 63 says you do. It, it, it almost is without credibility. Just literally incredible. And so as I stand here and as I bow your church God, I come as a believer and yet as an unbeliever. Because I can't believe you love us like this. I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. And yet there's part of me that just doesn't know it. That just knows sin well. I get mixed up in the ethics of how you could even love. Well, and with integrity, sinner like me. And when I think about other people like me, the rest, I just stop, God. I just, I can't even, I can't even do it at the time. And my sisters and brothers are sitting with me, and some of them are feeling the same way, saying, how can you pardon that? How can you do that in me, in that person who did that to me? How could God invite them? Would you give us language 
that wrecks all of our conceptions about justice and pardon and love even. Give us, God, in your word this week something that reconstructs redemption and love. I don't know how you I don't. And we sang it, sang about your love. We're going to sing it about it. I'm glad you do. Help us to like loved people. Help us to live like not a thing we can cause us to lose your love. Jesus' name. benediction, I want you just to bow and to listen for what you need to take with you today. Listen to the voice of God. Say, God, I want to hear you. I don't want to forget what you want to stay with me. Forsake sin this week. Leave and call God this week. Leave and seek God this week. Leave and return to God this week. If you're looking for a way to structure your life, flee sin and return to God all week long, every day. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.